Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and we had a slight emergency with my podcast mate, David, so hopefully he'll join us a little later in the podcast. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest today. She is the author and founder of Everyday Peace. She's a motivational speaker. She is a pharmacist classically trained, has a doctorate in pharmacy from Creighton University. As my uh, college friends would say, Southside. So she's from from the south side of Chicago. So uh, hopefully everybody, all the homies from Chicago, one of your own is on the podcast today. And I'd like to say, since I I did talk about like some of my friends from Southside and college and all, uh, it was a time when we had a lot of growth and development. And Dr. Drayvon James is no different. She was introduced to Norman Vincent Peale's book, The Power of Positive Thinking. And she's used that as a lifelong template. Uh, She's written, has written a book about relationships, uh, everyday peace. And she's spoken with a university or has a client with uh, University of uh, District Columbia, New Hope World Ministries. She's all over the place, and she's finally made it to intrinsic motivation from a homie's perspective. And she's going to give us a prescription for fixing damaged relationships. Without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Drayvon James. It is my pleasure to be a part of this um, uh, podcast. And, yes, I'm from the south side of Chicago, so hopefully uh, that will resonate with a lot of people. And uh, we can talk about growth and development. My life has been nothing but that. And we all know that you can only grow, right, in the valley. That's where growth and development happens, right? When you're on the mountaintop, you sit there for a little while, but then you dip back down and you do some more growing and development and you climb back up. So I have definitely a uh, poster child for that. (laughs) No, that's fantastic. Before we jump all into your business, I'd like to ask you a topical question from a fellow Chicagoan, if you will, by the name of Mr. West. He's always in the news. And as you mentioned, life is not linear. There's the beginning, humble beginnings in many cases in a lot of respects. And then you may be on the mountaintop and then you may dip and you're going through, I guess, growth period. So I'd like to get your take on what's going on with our famous entertainment celebrity, (laughs) Kanye West, from the south side of Chicago. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely love Kanye West. And and I say that um, because I I love all mankind. I respect everybody's journey. I take nothing from anybody's journey. And even, you know, I happen, like the rest of the world, to see the uh, famous or infamous, uh, however you look at it, time spent at the White House. But I will say this. Courageous, courageous, courageous to put himself out there to say what he feels, no matter what the rest of the world may think about what he's feeling. You know how we all get, we all do this. We get in that place where we are afraid to speak our mind because we don't want to seem imperfect to an imperfect world, right? Mm-hmm. We're so concerned about everything being so perfect that comes out of us because, my goodness, um, people are going to judge us. And, you know, we're imperfect beings, and we're going to be judged by imperfect people. So it is. And, you know, we have to give people space to do whatever they need to do so that they personally can grow. It doesn't mean that, we, that their message has to resonate with us. It's their process. He happens to have a much larger platform due to his work and effort that he's put in in his life. His platform is huge. And some people say, well, you have a huge platform like that. You have a huge responsibility. Your responsibility is always the same. Hmm. It is to do the best you can with the time that you have, to do the best that you can. And if that's the best that he can do with with the space that he's in right now, let us all bless that, take it for what it's worth, and keep it moving. Absolutely. And before we jump off of that, I do want to say, just in my humble opinion, that uh, I was taught just a long time ago that uh, things are as they appear and things are not as they appear. And on one level, right, and on one level, you could say that he's a genius because if he wasn't putting out such outlandish viewpoints, it wouldn't get people riled up. And these people potentially may not even vote in the next two weeks, but because of what he's doing, right, it's kind of like a a reverse psychology to get people out and galvanized. 
It is so true. And I said the same thing. I said, you look how many people, his voice, his voice, his name is going to reach people that no politician could ever rally. You know, you could do all the grassroots campaign that you want to. You're not going to reach certain people. So his voice his, is going to awaken people for whatever reason, those that support him, those that stand against him, whatever. But they're awake now, and they're going to maybe do something that they would have never done before, which is participate in this election process. And that's wonderful. Something good comes out of everything if we allow it. Everything. Perfect, perfect. So we'll jump off of topical and get back into Dr. Dre Vaughn. So you had mentioned something I do uh, want to jump into before we dive deep. You mentioned – perfection or perceived perfection in social media and and the latest commercial on the pixel is great because they show the pixel 3 the new google phone and people are taking these horrible photos but this new phone can magically make this perfect picture and you'll never have to worry about filtering anymore and so we all have this image like you said of trying to prevent or try to portray this perfection in an imperfect world Uh, when did you get off of that or get out of that mindset? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? Let me just tell you. <laughs> I laugh a lot with my mom. I'm the oldest of three kids, and, um, and my brother, who's 13 years younger than me, is you know, the person who gave me the book when I graduated high school, and he's always been my hero academically because he, I mean, just a genius, right? And I was this kid who was always struggling, but I loved to read. I loved the arts. And uh, somewhere along the line, uh, growing up on the south side of Chicago, you had – I didn't take myself that seriously. You couldn't take yourself that seriously. I, at least it wasn't the mode of operation for me. I had to realize that there were some things about me that were always going to be the center of other kids picking on. <laughs> and so as a way to, I guess, move through that period of my life, and be okay, because I wanted to be okay. Uh, I, I have this personality where I, I love alone time, but I love people too. So I, I, I'm happy by myself, but I love people too. So I wanted to be in the, in the mix of things. I realized that I had to have what they call a thick skin. I had to be able to laugh at myself. And, you know, there was uh, a period in my life where I, you know, I made that decision. I said, you know, these kids are picking on me for whatever reason. You know, it was the hair, the big lips, this, that. It was a thousand and one things. If it wasn't happening to me, it would have been a great comedy. But I decided very early on, and with the coaching of my brother, that you don't have to be perfect. Who, you know, the guy that's perfect, the guy that's imperfect. What's the difference? What, what, you know, what, what does he get more than the other guy? And when I realized that very early on in grammar school, I let go of that whole thing that I need to present myself perfect. And of course, it reared its head, you know, as you grow and the world gets more and more competitive, right? You're trying to get into college and people want you to be more, be more, be more. It it kind of reared its ugly head, this pursuit of perfection again in my life, especially when I went into pharmacy school and I was with people who were really, really smart. But for some reason, for me, I realized that that was so much stress. And I just couldn't, I couldn't handle that kind of stress. I just realized it would be better for me just to be me, just to be me, and give you the opportunity to accept or reject me. It's okay. Mm, that's a really good point. I'd like to welcome David. Sounds like David just joined on. So welcome to the podcast, David. Hey. Nice hey, to meet David. You. Yeah, nice to meet you, you too. Yes. I had so, a, I'm a superhero on Sundays, so I had some superhero duties, but I'm here now, so... <laughs> that's okay yeah okay. perfect timing yeah. David because we were talking about you being a superhero and, and Dr. Dravon was talking about the pursuit of perfection and how many people fall short and how she was able to overcome that by being able to laugh at herself ooh amusement good <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I think to bring that up because I wanted to bring it up because David and I, in, in some of our upbringing, we were taught um, amusement. And so when you're objective, look at things from an amusement standpoint or object, objective standpoint, you don't, you're, not, um, you're not taken by the waves, so to speak, no matter how deep or how far they may go. And then and when you have that, when you step back, you can actually look at it from a different perspective. So it's always a different perspective 
from whatever anyone is going through. Yeah, and you know, so interesting too because people look at perfectionism in a negative way a lot too. Um, because, but I think there is some good in it. People who who really, if it wasn't for people who desire to appear perfect, they wouldn't keep having the advances of the iPhone or anything else, right? These people want to get better and they want to get better and they want. And so I have a, a healthy appreciation for that because I do too. Everybody wants to get better. It's just that I believe that that better is from the inside and only I and only you truly know what your best is right now. You know, always comparing it to the next guy's best or what the next person is doing. It's this internal thing that says to you, you hit the mark. Rest right here for a moment. And then some other urge will come up and you'll you'll strive to be great. You're greatest at that. But letting go of this whole thing that I need to appear to be perfect in the eyes of somebody who only knows me on the surface. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. And I think it's a really good segue for uh, prescription for damaged relationships because if we're always in this pursuit of perfection, when you meet somebody, that foundation may be flawed from the beginning. And if that's what you're currently working with, who knows what the, the your potential partner is working with. And so uh, what's your take as far as what you've seen out there with relationships and what's a, a better way to approach that first that first impression? I got to tell you something funny that happened to me yesterday. I was somewhere and I saw a book title and I don't know whose cover was on the title, but it says, it said something to the effect, it, when someone starts off by saying, you complete me, run. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I can't tell you how often I do talks and people will say to me, I have found this person, they just complete me. And, and it makes me like sort of cringe inside. Uh, because I, I kind of know where they're coming from and, and the spirit of which they want to be received, but I'm hoping at the same time that they don't mean that with the heaviness and the depth of what it could mean because no one can complete you but you, right? So when you meet two people or a group of people even and they come together, to me it's always beautiful that they can communicate without killing each other. Right? Because you come together, especially in a work environment or something like that, you come together and each of you are bringing your own baggage with you, your own hurts, your own pains, your own insecurities, you know, and your own triggers. Right? This is a hot button for me, it's, you know, that sets me crazy, that sets you crazy. We all come together in some kind of way at the end of this exchange. We all leave in one piece. And I think that is a miracle every day. Every day. I worked with a guy years and years ago who had had some traumatic experiences, and I never knew that. I knew his behavior sometimes could be a little off-putting, but when he shared his story with me, I was amazed that he came to work at all and was able to sit through that. And, you know, he had horrible experiences with violence and loss in his life. And But he did okay in the, in the work environment. It wasn't great. But at the end of the day, everybody he worked with went home peacefully. He went home peacefully, and it was a wonderful exchange. I think if we approach every relationship like that, like I don't really know everything that you're bringing to this interview, all the other stuff that you've had go on in your day. Like you said, you were Superman today, all the other things that you had to do in order to get to this space. And just respecting the fact that you're here and I'm here, and we could produce something really helpful for somebody else, with all that's going on in the background, helps us to realize that conflict, one, is always always going to be amongst us. We're never going to get rid of it. And we're going to have to learn how to use it as a tool and not a weapon. I love it. I love it. And I want to talk about the uh, image of perfection and how it could be flawed and such that when I travel overseas and they see a black American, they have this perception, you know, either MTV raps or something that's, you know, very um, generic in a generalization of all of us here. And you're like, that's not how all of us live in the States. And David and I are in Atlanta. And when I travel and they're like, you live in Atlanta, they're like housewives of Atlanta and all these things. And I'm like, that's not Atlanta. And or a lot all of Atlanta, and there's this perception about the South, not even just the South Side, but just Chicago as a whole. Like you're flying to Chicago, be safe. I hope you come back alive and all. (laughs) (laughs) I like for you to clear that perception out. 
Oh, my gosh, that's so funny because I was home maybe a couple months ago and someone said to me, wow, aren't you scared to go to Chicago? I'm like, really? No. I mean, that, you know, yeah, yeah. People kind of see one part of things and they kind of run with that. Yeah. Unfortunately for Chicago, they, you know, every time they're it has something to do with, you know, shootings or something. So people get that perception that that's all that's going on there. Right. And, and, and you know, it is unfortunate, but it is a fact that it is happening there. But we can't use that one or, you know, as someone told me it was 80 in one day or something like that in one week. And I said, you know, you can't use those events to define a whole people, though. Yeah. Exactly. You can't, you can't because there is what what is perceived to be good and bad in every community, every race, every country. We have it all, and we can use it all. And that's never, it's all the way back to biblical times. In history, it's all recorded just that way. We coexist. So does that mean that you, earlier, you were listening to Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney, There's Good and Bad in Everyone? Yeah, I like that. I forgot about that song. (laughs) (laughs) In whatever whatever part of you becomes the predominant part of you is the part that you feed the most. Right, it's what you give energy to. Whatever you give energy to is what's going to flourish and develop. Mm, but it's yeah, there. Your most authentic part of you. Yeah. No, I think that, that I want to stay there because uh, what we focus on expands. And so if you're getting into a relationship and you said, you complete me, run, and the other side is everyone's toxic, so I'm not going to deal with anyone. So what's a good medium place to uh, approach relationships? That's a great question. And the very first place you want to go to to approach a relationship is within yourself. First of all, realizing that you yourself are complete. You are complete. There may be parts of yourself that you need to explore and learn more about, but you are complete within yourself. You are complete. Another person can help you discover great parts of yourself to enhance, bring those parts out of you more so. But that's really your job. And when somebody shows you that, oh, my gosh, you are a great listener, then you need to start exploring that part of yourself independent of that individual. So that's in you. That's there. They help to expose it, but it's there. So that's the first place to begin approach any relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship, a work relationship, any relationship, is that you are whole. You are whole. Relationships help to bring balance to a situation, but you yourself are whole. And then you look at what you have to give in that relationship and what you can receive from that relationship because there's balance, give and take constantly. That's how this world works. So you're giving something to the relationship and you need to be receiving something from the relationship. If it's just one side, it just you know you're just there because this person makes you feel great and you feel so awesome when you're in their presence and you. Okay, so what are you giving? I love it. And, that, and since yeah. it's a, from a homie's perspective, I have to give a shout-out to uh, Kareem Biggs-Burke. Uh, for the audience that doesn't know who he is, he's one of the founders of Rockefeller, uh, you know, Jay-Z fame and all that good stuff. And so uh, that was, you know, early 90s, and here we are 20-plus years later. And when you see a lot of his interviews now, they were asking him about, business relationships and and what would he pursue today versus back then. And just like you were saying, he was saying that uh, I, back then it was just more of I, I just needed the opportunity and I struck business relationships with everyone, good or bad. I was just after getting a, a monetary gain. And now, you know, 20 plus years later, he's gone through a lot. He has his own story to share, but he looks at relationships a lot differently. Like what is the long-term relationship that we'll both get out of it instead of, you know, give and take or not give and take, but more so take it was the environment, especially in entertainment that he was experiencing in the past. So it resonates from what you were just saying. That's why I wanted to highlight that. Yeah. And that's the evolution of mind, right? Because when we, uh, there's an expression, I think, in the Bible that says, you know, when we were 
babies, we survived on milk. But as you grow, you, you know, you need meat for substance. So when you're first starting out, yeah, you think about, like, what's in it for me? How can I grow? And I, I use myself as an example, too. People say, well, you know, how do you make it out? Of, and I grew up in poverty. And I said, because I look for opportunities, anything that I could get to, to move me on to the next level. But then as you grow, you realize that I probably could have grew a little faster if I was also looking for opportunities to give. But back then, I didn't know I had anything to give. So let me ask you, Dr. James, you said you were looking, you know, people ask you how did you get out, and you were looking for opportunity. Um, yeah. Maybe besides your parents, or maybe their, your parents were, but who were the biggest influences when you were that young, when you were young? Wow. Um, so my dad um, passed away when I was very, very young. And uh, it was my mom raised three of us on her own. She's a phenomenal mom, and she was definitely a big influence to me because she constantly reminded us. She was interesting as a mom because, uh, having been born and raised in Southside Chicago her entire life, she made the decision at, at some point that she wanted to move her children to a different educational environment. So I actually went to school in Massachusetts, but mm. which was very very difficult. Uh, because it was away from family, and it was a totally different. It was a totally different environment, and so it took a lot of adjusting. But she made that huge sacrifice for for her kids because she really wanted us to get what she thought was an education that would propel us forward in life, and she was right. And that's saying we couldn't have on the south side of Chicago, but that's what she wanted for us, and that was the sacrifice that she made for her kids. But she also made sure that we stayed very much in touch with our community our South Side community. So we got to grow up in two worlds, mm. which really gave me an appreciation for just people in general. And I saw commonalities amongst the haves and the have-nots, that they were so similar, you know. <laughs> but uh, so I think my mom was, a, she was, I know she was a big influence in my life. And then there was one woman who I'm sure has uh, gone home to glory, and her name was Freddie Jackson. And she... Uh, really took an interest in me. I don't know why she did it. She took an interest in me academically and got me involved in a lot of things that I would have never gotten involved in academically. And that helped to give me some confidence because I was definitely a slow learner, I think. But I was a person who loved to read. But anything else, nothing else interests me. Just reading. I like doing plays. And, but she helped me to see how strong I was in uh, math and science, things that I was not really interested in. But so those people influenced me and helped me to realize, and, she, and Freddie Jackson was a strong businesswoman. She was an African-American woman, and she was just, I'd never met anybody who was really like her, very, very uh, professional, and she had, I don't know what kind of job she did, but, but I was a young person, but I knew she drove a nice car, she went to work in, in suits, and she always used to tell me, you can do this too, and you can do this too. So it really influenced me. So that on that level, but my mom was a person who really brought, like, uh, metaphysics into my life and religion, and that helped me to really understand this uh, lack of need of perfection and how everything came from one source, and that no matter how humble my beginnings were, that I had the same thing inside of me that any other girl growing up in the riches of environments had inside of her. It was just I had to dig mind it out differently. Absolutely. And I do want to give a shout-out to your mom, and I want to give a, a shout-out to Freddie Jackson as well. Uh, one of our first podcasts, we were talking about uh, Godwinks, and there's no accidents. And so in, in many respects, she saw something in you that you didn't see, and you you pay it forward to how you're helping out in the community. And I know when we first started talking on this podcast, we were talking about Kanye and such, and a lot of people that are giving him a pass would say, you know, he's never been the same since his mother transitioned. And so when you said that you were able, your mom had put you in an environment where you were able to grow, but she also kept you grounded to help the people around you from your, from your humble beginnings. I think that's a huge takeaway and in, in that, um, there's people that are in situations that they may not see a way out of, but because you took an interest, then somebody's going to say, oh, I remember Dr. Dravon, she helped me when I didn't see any outlets. Yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting about help, too, because I think when I was young, I always thought that help meant like 
I was really hungry. We were homeless for part of my childhood, so I felt like if you really wanted to help us, you would, like, give us a place to stay and feed us, right? And that that is important, too, but what I didn't realize is that there was the words of encouragement that people could see past that, you know. They could see, like, hey, I, you know, there's that phrase, if I give you a fish, you'll eat for a day. If I teach you the fish, you'll eat for the rest of your life. And I can remember hearing that phrase as, as a kid, and I was like, oh, I just really want to eat today. We just take care of the day. I'll worry about the rest of my life, right? But that was so true. People would say things to me that were so encouraging to me. Freddie Jackson especially was a person who took me on a college tour, just me and her. Like, I don't even know how that ever happened, how she found a kid like me and, and drove me to a college and said, you know, I see you here. I'm like, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, she – she took that interest in me, and I know that there was some divine universal power who, that led her to me. And early on in my life, I used to say to myself, like, what do I have to give to people? And it was somewhere in the valley that I decided that it was the truths and the beliefs that were inside of me that were put there by my mom and people like Freddie Jackson and other people too. But those beliefs, that power of, that goes beyond believing to a place of knowing, that I wanted to give other people to say, you know, no matter where you are today, if you know where you want to be, just have a small inkling. Everything inside of you is right there waiting to take you there. I love it. I love it. And and I want to give a quick plug right now for the Big Brother Big Sister program. Uh, I've been in it since 2009. And it's for people that are listening, uh, Freddie Jackson that was able to help Dr. Drayvon, you know, there was some universal interference there, if you will. But there may be a lot of universal interference if people would listen. And there's a lot of children that are out there that – could have better opportunities, and, and Big Brother, Big Sister has been really good for me and, and for my little. We've had a relationship for almost 10 years, and these are going to be lifelong relationships. So as you can see, you know, all these years later, Dr. Drayvon keeps referencing Freddie Jackson. I, I want to highlight how uh, we get to certain stages in our lives, and it's really important to share some of the information that we have with those coming behind us. Yeah, and you wouldn't, and I like that organization, Big Brother, Big Sister, too. I haven't been a part of it, but I've done other mentorship programs. You'd be surprised that how you think you're just doing your ordinary thing and, you know, it's not, no big deal, but somebody is holding on to your every word as encouragement. You know, you say, you know, you did a good job on that test, and they're like, it really, in their minds, they're saying, oh, he thinks I could be a great scientist, you know. That small amount of investment of time is, is priceless. It's mm-hmm. priceless. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward a little bit where you, you, you've had some um, growth and your mom put you in different environments, so you had access to different cultures and such, and you get to a point, you finish school, you got your doctorate, so you're right on the career path, but then you know, life gets in the way, as we say, and you meet your potential partner and get married. You have perceptions, everyone has perceptions when they get married that this is the one and we're going to have the Hollywood ending where we ride off into the sunset, and in many cases that doesn't happen. So I'd like for you to highlight a little bit of how you've gotten in, into your relationship because you've been married for over 20-plus years. So, you know, salute and congratulations to you for that. And I'd like for you to just go from the beginning of your uh, life partner relationship. Yeah, so that's – my husband and I have been married 23 years. And uh, whew, what a journey. You cannot stay in someone's life for 23 years that you do not have a blood connection to unless you have a commitment that goes beyond looks, that goes beyond feelings, that goes beyond finance. It has got to be something much deeper than that. And I tell people that all the time. I meet women who say, oh, my gosh, you know, he's, I don't know, a neurosurgeon. That's cute. That's nice. That's not sustainable for building a life with. And I would say that 23 years, you still never know. You know, you just never know. But for me and my husband, Uh, I think when I got married, the thought was that I I grew up with my one foot in a metaphysical world, having been part of a New Age uh, truth kind of religion with my mom, and my other foot in Pentecostal because we went to both churches. And it was new to my husband. He grew up 
Baptist, if he went to church, really didn't have that much of, he was an atheist, but it just, you know, didn't play, as with most people, it doesn't make, not part of your everyday existence. But I think what I can say is that we sort of partnered in our belief pattern in knowing that our relationship was about more than just us. And for me, on a physical plane, it was, I really wanted to have a life that would show my younger cousins that marriage could work and it could be a good idea to approach life, not the only idea, but it could be a good idea to approach life and begin a family, bring children into an environment where there were two parents, if you understand what I mean. So I kind of I wanted to show that to people, too, that you know, this could be a better way to do things. It may save a lot of hardship on the back end having, you know, grown up without a dad and most of, you know, a lot of family members had that same situation, grew up without a dad. So that was important to both me and my husband. So we sort of shared, found common ground because love, the love, the Hollywood love, I wish I could say that was sustainable for life. And maybe it is for some people. I just have not met them. But mature love, we realized it goes through phases. You're going to hit everything. You're going to hit that part where, you know, yes, you're in the Hollywood phase, that honeymoon phase, and everything's glossed over, but then the mortgages do, and someone loses their job, and somebody else gets sick, and there's always outside influences, and you've got to be able to learn how to communicate through all of that, communicate in truth. Long-term relationships take vulnerability. Vulnerability, and it, it takes, you know, turning the, turning the other cheek constantly, but saying, you know, hey, this is where I am right now. This is how I'm feeling right now. This is how I'm feeling about everything, other outside influences, the finances, the health, everything, the religious, the raising of the children, everything. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been an interesting journey, but I would say that the thing that has kept our marriage together through all the conflict, and you can only imagine what kind of conflict, 23 years, a lot of conflict has been learning to set boundaries and learning to communicate better. Two issues, that, and they were both my issues. I didn't know how to set boundaries, and, I didn't, and lots of women that I talked to do not know how to set boundaries. I was one of them. I didn't know how to set boundaries, and I was afraid of honest communication. When you say setting boundaries, can you give me an example of that? What do you mean? Yeah, so, you know, I think there's, you know, I talk to women all the time, and they say, you know, what do you mean set boundaries? Because, you know, we bring life into the world. Uh, another human being grows inside of this body. So I am in 110. If I, if I need to give of myself, I'm going to give 110. I'm not going to really expect anything in return. And I start off by saying that in order to have a relationship with anybody, you need to understand that it must be balanced, that you must be giving something and you must be receiving something. So setting a boundary, I look at it like this. I was driving home from work one day. And I was really struggling with this idea of boundaries, and it happened to be at a point in our marriage where we were sort of in the valley. And I looked down at the road as I was driving, and I saw those yellow lines in the road. And I thought to myself, as I saw them, just this thought appeared in my mind that those lines in the road represent boundaries, and they make sure that if I obey the boundaries, and the driver in the other lane obeys the boundaries, that we are going to each reach our destination safely. So it changed my perspective. I said, I need to decide what it is that I need in a relationship from another person, knowing that I am whole already. But what do I need? And everybody is different. But one of those things I needed was honesty. I realized that that is a big barrier for me. You know, if you lie, it puts up a wall for me and we can't go further. I just, we can't move past that. So I had to decide what are those boundaries. And some of them are really small. I've talked to women who say, you know, I have a boundary. I don't know. We need to have date night. We have these things that make validate me as a woman. Or men who said, I, I need to have space. I need to have, um, you know, I need her to, a boundary is my cell phone, my devices. Keep your hands off that. Don't go through looking through you know, messages, those are boundaries. Everybody has them or should have them and know what they are. I, like many women, did not have them. My life was an open book. I, you know, whatever you did, I was okay with it. And now I look back on that, I'm like, who was that person? And how could you even have any respect for a person like that? 
because it definitely seems to me that that individual is presenting themselves as a little too needy and maybe not enough enough thought on themselves or appreciate self-love, I guess is the best way to say it. Boundaries represent self-love. Now, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, not necessarily from you, but <laughs> for people that are listening from some of the feedback. So I usually get called Mr. Davis from time to time. And what that means when people say that is I have my business hat on. And so they're like, well, you, you're using a business scenario to try to fix or work on a personal thing. So perfect example, I would say in the business world, you have um, – I worked with an architecture firm. And we had, when we worked with clients, we had visioning sessions. And in the visioning session, our designer was was popular in saying that he and his wife and his kids went on vacation. And their kids were 18, like a high school kid, and the other was like 21, so he's in college. And so when they were going on vacation, he and his wife had a vision of a perfect vacation where they're on the beach, it's very quiet, they have a, you know, a beverage, and they're either reading a book and they're looking at the sunset. The kid's vision of a vacation was wall-to-wall people, loud noise, and you know, it was just to- total opposite of what the parents wanted. And so in the visioning session, it's more of, hey, we both have two different viewpoints of what we want, we, but to get a desired outcome, we have to have some compromise and set up the boundaries and working on communication. So when I look at when you were talking about boundaries and communication, I kind of lump those two together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what you just mentioned too about the, I love that example. You have to have flexibility because you have to have boundaries. You can have the quiet time on the beach with the wine or whatever. And the kids can also have the wild, wild, wall-to-wall people. We're going to have to find a nice medium there. We're going to have to be flexible. So each of us gets what we want, but we show that we're still in a give-and-take balanced relationship. And that takes work. And people sometimes have to decide whether or not it's, it's okay not to want to put that work in. It is absolutely okay, but you've got to be honest about that. So you to say, you know, it's, it's way too much work. It's because it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work because that, the communications, the, the boundaries, and the flexibility is a continual dance. It doesn't stop. You don't reach a point where, hey, we've communicated enough. We've had enough boundaries. We've had enough flexibility. We got it. It is continual for the entire relationship, and it changes because we're all dynamic. And you're at one phase in your life. I'm at another phase in my life, and it keeps happening. Yeah, I want to uh, ask you another topical question. So, you know, the good and bad of being a celebrity, everyone thinks of the good stuff. And then with the, the bad, in my opinion, is just that your life is an open book. And so recently, you know, uh, Will Smith and, and Jada were talking, and they had highlighted how for one period during their marriage, she was crying for like 30 days or 45 days nonstop. And so when you – when they first got married, they probably never anticipated that type of scenario. And so how, how, how do you propose, because uh, you said it is hard work, but no one's really prepared to go through it until they actually go through it. So what kind of mindset should a person have? Yeah, and that's so interesting because you can't predict, right, the guy or the gal you fall in love with today with all their health and their beauty and their money, no guarantee for tomorrow. So you, you, you set out and say that I love something that Jada said, and I hope I get it right, that she said that she and Will have surpassed marriage, right? They're, they don't consider themselves married. They're just, you know, like uh, families or something that she said, that, you know, they're like relations. And that's what I mean about when you have, when you marry to somebody that you don't share blood with, it's easy to terminate that relationship, but you can't terminate the relationship with your mom. I know we've heard celebrities, people say, you know, oh, I got uh, emancipated from my mom or whatever. That relationship, is you can start calling her by her first name. It doesn't matter. That relationship is etched in stone. You don't even make, you could be adopted. I have friends that are adopted. Whatever that woman is, that's your mom. Nothing's going to sever that relationship. You may have another adopted mom, but wherever she, so that relationship is, is there and it's for life. You have to cultivate it and make it grow, but you just can't denounce it and then it's over. 
marriage you can. You can denounce it and say it's, it's over because you don't have that blood tie. So you've got to be able to make that decision within yourself. And when you do get in a situation where someone's hit, hit a rough spot, and you may be at the top of your game, right, and that person's hit a rough spot, there's got to be a place in you, a place in you that realizes that beyond, beyond the love part, just humanitarian, that this individual needs something that you may be able to supply. And if that's just nothing but listening, because I know they say that men, I read this uh, so many times, that men are about solutions, Right, they rush, they rush in and they want to, you know, what's the, what are you crying about? What do you need? Here it is. I got it. So the crying can stop, right? So, and women are about time and, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily true all the way around, but maybe uh, generally speaking, because I tell my husband all the time, if you can fix it, if I tell you about it, it's because I want you to fix it. I'm not telling you about it because I want you to hear about it. I've told you about it. Go fix it. <laughs> but, so, but, but, so I think, Part of you has to say to yourself that let me find out what the individual needs. What's the crying about? Maybe you don't know what it's about. I don't know what her situation was. Maybe just I just need to know that you'll be here when this phase ends, that surety. Okay. And, and, and as much as we can offer that, because there really is no surety about tomorrow, least of all about a relationship. It all has to be today. I tell people about all the time. You can't say that I'm going to do right by him tomorrow. I'm going to do right by her when I get my business together. It has to be today. You have to be willing to put it all on the line today. And still, at the same token, not lose yourself. A lot of work. A lot of work, for sure. And I have to tip my hat off to you when you were talking about, as a female, learning to communicate better, because usually the generality is that guys have a lack of communication. And so I'd like for you to talk a little bit more about how we communicate because uh, guys on, are on one page in many respects and women are on another. And um, 23 years, obviously something's working. Can you talk about something that initially when you look back, like this, how you improved your communication and so a scenario what happened today where you're like, oh, my goodness, there's no way I could have handled it 20 years ago, but today it's totally different. Oh, yes. Okay, so 20 years ago, wow. I and then this is this is just so true about me. I was just so excited to I think well my husband was the third person to ask me to marry him, but the first person I ever took seriously. And I thought, um, gosh, a guy of your caliber, right? He came from a two two parent home. He just seemed like leave it to beaver to me. And I and I came from the exact opposite uh spectrum. And I said, Well, let me take you home. Let me take you to my home so you can meet my people and uh, and whom I absolutely love and this is this is who I am so we, he went there and he was like wow never never saw that coming but I still want to marry you I'm like you do okay so and approaching marriage that way not the best idea because where I was with myself was not really that self-love but my self-love was really low even though I had accomplished a lot I just didn't see myself for all that I was, but I saw him for more than what he was. And so consequently, that led to an imbalance in our communication because I really never expressed myself. And so it was always, well, me looking at his perspective as being the best way because after all, he was from this two-parent home and, and you know, I didn't see any drug abuse anywhere. I didn't see any alcoholism anywhere. You know, all the things that I was accustomed to, that I had grown up with, I didn't, they, were, they were all absent in his life. And I thought, if you want to have a leave it to beaver lifestyle, it, the closest I'm going to get is this guy. And he, you know, his ideas about everything have got to be more pure than my take on it. False, and I, and I was, I didn't allow myself to communicate my feelings about anything that he did, if that makes sense. I just automatically took it as, well, I can improve, I can improve, I can improve. And when I talk about communication now, I tell people the first thing you need to realize is you need to be honest with yourself. Clear and fearless communication needs to happen with you. And where I was lying with to myself is that I wasn't taking the time to get to know where those insecurities were coming from inside of me. I never 
turned the mirror around and just looked at me. I always looked at him and saw him as great, but I never looked at why I didn't see myself as great, if that makes sense. No, it so, makes perfect sense. Yeah, so, so we went on. I mean, we were married for years. We went on the first decade, and it was, she would tell people, oh, she's like the perfect wife. She never complains because I never complained. There was a lot of stuff I could have mm-hmm. complained about, but I never complained. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she's a perfect wife. She never complains. She never does this. So fast forward 20 years in, and it really was 2015 was our, marked our 20th anniversary, and I discovered things about my husband that were just, I was, blown away. And I couldn't believe I had blinders on for all these years. And it helped me. I know that the whole process was for me to see me better. It helped me to say, hey, what's going on with you? You're writing all these great things. You're doing all these talks, but you really need to take a moment to really dig in and find out what's going on inside of you. And I realized that I had abandonment issues. And I need to clearly communicate with that and had to go to back to me and my dad, and I felt vulnerable that if I communicated honestly with my husband that he would disappear. Today, 2018, I, I'm able, because I worked through that whole process, did all the work with that, I'm very clear about this is what I feel about your last statement, this is what I feel about everything, probably too, too communicative. But I, I'm very clear with my communication with him and with myself, and it has improved our relationship, I would say, 110%, because I'm not worried about being abandoned or I'm okay with being abandoned. That was the thing, too, because you can't say that, oh, once you start doing this, that everything is going to be great. The other person could honestly say, hey, I don't like this change in you. I preferred it when you didn't communicate your needs or communicate what you thought I was doing wrong. Because now when you start communicating that in truth, the other person has looks still maybe feels attached. As my husband did at first, he felt like, well, wait a second. Where's all this coming from? Mm-hmm. But, we, you know, he evolved and it allowed me to evolve, but I had to get to a place where I was honestly communicating with myself to say that if this proper and honest communication leads to this relationship no longer existing in the way that it exists today, I'm okay with that because self-love dictates that I communicate honestly with myself about what I will accept from me and what I will accept from you. So it always goes there. Communication has to be with you. You cannot allow yourself to lie to yourself about anything, and we're really good at that. We're really good. Uh, men, too. Well, women are really, really good at seeing only what they want to see. <laughs> well, I got to give you a high five, and I know David's laughing because <laughs> you mentioned one of my favorite shows. I still watch Leave it to Beaver. It's really yeah. funny because yeah i figured i'd get ahead of that curve there <laughs> uh because i wanted to ask you i mean the thing i, I liked it, and of course you know they were trying to portray an image and but one thing that was was crucial in my opinion was uh, there was a time where families met each other before a person got married and that isn't happening as often today and so your your husband or your potential husband at the time was able to meet your family and still decide, you know, hey, this is something I want to go through. So it's just the tip yeah. of the iceberg of of uh, of that. You know, we're, we're like you said, we're, we may be in the emotion department and they may check all the all of the checklist on on paper, but until they meet the family. And then what I learned was until they meet the family during the holidays, because the holidays is totally different during the rest regular time of the year. You're like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, I still want to marry you after Christmas dinner. Right, yeah, and that's so important. That's so important. I think it was one of the wisest things that I ever did because I knew that for me my allegiance, I mean, before you get married all you have is really your family, but my allegiance was to my family and that he met me in a vacuum. You know, he met me – We. You know, we don't live in Chicago, so he met me way away from my family. But I, I said, you know, you need to go to meet my family and to see what uh, what matters to me. And, uh, you know, he was he, he was surprised, but he, he felt like if, if you love him, I love him. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's important because you marry the entire family. And I, I fell in love with his family. I mean, they, like I said, I was one of those kids who would watch Leave it to Be, and I was like, people really live like that? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think you fell in love with him, and I, I went to a confirmation. I think you fell in love with him because of his relationship with his mother. So I was always told that the way they treat their mother is the way they're ultimately going to treat you. You know what? Yes. And I would say this, too. Now, remember, I was, it was 23 years ago. I, what I, I didn't have any frame of reference as to how a man really was supposed to treat a woman because I grew up without a dad. So I saw he and his mother laughing and talking. And, and to me, just a man, you know, I was like, wow, that's really cool. His parents were still together. Now, 23 years later, I'm like, my son better treat me a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but it's it's levels to this, right? So my husband and I, we were at one level, and our parents got us here, and and our goal is to get our children to the next level. All about one thing I think was missing in our generation was this understanding of self-love, because from that place, that's the springboard of all love. Um, You know, you can have love of a a higher power even, and if you don't have self-love, it's not going to work. You got to have that self-love, and I think you know, in his family, although they had all the other trappings, they weren't really teaching that self-love, and, you know, that wasn't happening there. But, you know, through us, we're evolving. We're grateful for where they got us, and it's our job to get our kids to the next level. And then still they'll be, they'll be lacking in some areas that they'll have to develop with their mate to get to the next level. So this whole, this whole thing is just keeps going and growing. I'd like to get your opinion on, on when you're talking about self-love and what that actually means because I am a huge, huge, capital huge <laughs> fan of Taraji Henson, right? And so she was yeah. on, on Jimmy Fallon not too long ago, and she was talking about her father. Her father was a Vietnam vet, and he had these mental health issues, and she was, you know, these are things in the black community that's not really talked about. And so she was affected, right, and, and her relationships were affected. And so when she was, she ultimately decided to get um, or seek the expertise of a, either a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And at the time, she, the, when she was coming up short because she didn't, she found a traditional psychologist, but they, let's just say that person didn't have the cultural understandings that she needed. And so she has this foundation now where, you know, they're helping people go into those fields because as a community, we haven't really had that outreach. And when we talk about self-love and other issues, uh, it may be underlying themes that we need to address first. So I want to get your take on even even considering uh, professional help. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And, you know, that is almost like a taboo topic in the black community. When you, you know, I think our stance has been historically just to pray about it. And, you know, if you had anything that was going on that was emotionally, pray about it or just get over it, right? And so we know that things that are left there, you know, in the pit of our stomach just to sit, they become rotten and molded and they affect every relationship, our relationship with ourselves and every other relationship. So I am a big proponent of people seeking, uh, Something you know, it doesn't always have to be uh, psychiatrists. It could be social workers. There's somebody that you can talk to that maybe has a little bit more professionalism. Eh, cultural sensitivities are huge because there are things I tell people all the time that happen in uh, when you, <laughs> I laugh when I think of this. When you talk to black men and they put their hand or they rub their heads that maybe somebody else may not pick up on. But sisters are really keen to that. You know, if you start rubbing your head, this conversation is pretty much over, right? Because mm-hmm. he's in a whole other space. And so it, he's, he's past the frustration, let it go. At least with my husband and the men in my life, I know when the head rubbing starts happening, it's, I'm in a zone, or he's in a zone. We need to pause for a minute. But so there are cultural sensitivities that may, I would definitely overlook in another person's culture. They probably would overlook in my culture. You know, yeah. my sister puts her head, her head to the side. It's just, you know, just different things. What a pause may mean. So I think there is a lot to be able to talk to somebody who may share that with you. doesn't mean that you can't get help from somebody that's not in your same ethnic group. I mean, definitely you can do that as well. But 
there are some things, there are some benefits I could see to talking to someone who understands what the silence means or what the, you know, when you say, huh, what that means. You know, just little things that we do sometimes that exist in every culture. So, but I am a big proponent of seeking help. If you, need to, if you need to get help having somebody to talk to and understanding a language of self-love. People are so concerned. In fact, I can remember as a child my mom would say, you know, don't be selfish, don't be selfish, don't be selfish. And now when I hear that, it's, I hear don't put yourself first. And I'm leery of somebody who doesn't put themselves first because how could you really, really have my best interest in heart when you don't have yours at heart? Yeah. How can you, you know, when I had my oldest, my daughter who's 18 years old, when I, I looked at her one day, I said, how can I share or how can I get you to believe my philosophies about my life? How can, I, how can I do that? Because I have some strong beliefs and knowings about life. How can I get you to buy into them? And it came to me that the only way I could do that is to show her how much those beliefs, those knowings, how much they have profited me in my life. Right? You can't sell something to somebody that nobody finds value in. If you don't have self-love and have value, show value for yourself, it's impossible for somebody else to genuinely be able to value you. Self-love to me is the foundation of every relationship. On every, you know, from the smallest thing, making sure that you have time to uh, put your own thoughts together, making sure that you know, after you give first fruits to whatever organization you want to build, and whether it's the church or Big Brothers, Big Sisters, but that you take a part of that income and you are first feeding to yourself for your mm-hmm. own personal growth and development, right? That needs to happen. It needs to be a part of your budget. This is just for me, for me to grow in whatever, you know, I don't know, if you're trying to grow a uh, tennis shoe collection or grow a pocketbook collection or trying to grow uh, books on um you know, metaphysics, whatever it is, sowing seed into yourself so that you'll have something to give. I, th- I think that's huge, and I appreciate you sharing a lot of your stories. It made me think of a colleague of mine. He um, he was married 19 years, and he pretty much, I mean, she there was nothing she had to ask for. I mean, you know, you had the four-car garage and all that good stuff, and she just left after, I mean, they never argued for anything. Right, he was like, she's perfect, blah blah blah, and then she did. It was just like it seemed out of the blue, and it was probably because of what you were saying in changing the communication and and not setting up the boundaries. Like you're just thinking if a person's smiling the whole time that we're on the same page, but we're not. Um, what's another way to check in with a person to see? Like, I mean, you you don't want to second guess your partner, but if they're always smiling, go along with you, and then 19 years later you realize they really weren't. How do you check in with someone? Yeah, remember I said in the beginning, you got to have, this is this, this cycle, right? Keep going, communication, setting new boundaries and flexibility. And you really have to do this in real time. You've got to make time every week, some point in the week, is to check in and ask probing questions. Ask probing questions. You know, how are you feeling about the marriage? I, I, I like to open, ask my husband open-ended questions all the time. So how are you feeling about the marriage? And, you know, sometimes men are difficult to get full synthesis out of. Everything is good. Or, you know, what's everything? You know, what would you like to see happen different, I don't know, what different sex life? What would you like to see anything different going on in the world that I don't know about? You know, what would you like to see? Would you like more time with your guys? Should we do more things as a family? Do you need more independent time? Ask questions. And a lot of times we don't ask questions because we don't want to hear the answers. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a friend, she's been divorced a long time, but her, her motto is, I don't ask questions I don't want to hear answers to. And I always <laughs> tell her, I said, <laughs> you know, I said that's a relationship killer. She goes, no, I, don't, I don't ask questions I don't want to hear answers to. I said, because if you want a relationship to grow, first of all, if he wants out, he wants out. There's probably not going to be, same thing with her. If she wants out, she wants out. But Maybe they don't want out yet. Maybe they want to be listened to. Maybe they want some change, and they don't know how to communicate it. So relationships is a two-way street. I got to ask questions. I got to constantly be reading, you know, read everything that you can get your hands on. I, I say that. I try to read and stay abreast of things, what's happening in, you know, a man's world, what's happening in my world. Uh, just try to read and ask questions. And I, read, I read this article. 
I asked my husband, you know, when the, when the beards came back and all that kind of stuff. I said, I like that look, but what, is there anything behind that look? So I started asking my husband, you know, we're older, you know, how does that make you feel? What do you think about getting older? You know, do you, you know what, do you, what do you miss from being, you know, a younger man? What is it that you think that, you know, because perhaps there's something there, something there that if we talked about it, we could keep it from mushrooming to becoming this huge thing that causes a an ocean of difference of space between us, mm-hmm. you know, and and that you also knowing that it's okay to change. I think that's a big thing with relationships. People thinking that it's not okay to change. I'm not the same girl you married 23 years ago. Yeah. And you're not the same guy I married 23 years ago. This thing is going to require me to find new respect for you every day, to find something else about you that I respect more than I did yesterday. Same thing for you and me. For you to look at me and say, you know what, this is something that I respect about my wife or my partner, right? This is, you know, and she's got all these flaws because we all do, and he's got all these flaws, and that the flaws, we can talk about them. But these things right here outweigh those flaws. Mm-hmm. They outweigh those flaws. If you forever, forever, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about toenail clippings on the side of the bed. I have not experienced that, but I probably think that would work on my last nerve. <laughs> but uh, but she, she was honest. She goes, I can, I can overlook that. I can overlook. She said, that's his side of the bed. He keeps it a mess. I can overlook because this guy is, you know, he's this, he's that. So I, I don't focus on all these small things because we got all this big stuff working for us. And let me say, what's small for you is small for you. Never mind what the general population says is big and small. That's your relationship. There's nobody in there except for the two of you. You yeah. define it for yourself. You know, setting new relationship goals is huge when you're talking about um, repairing a damaged relationship, knowing how you want this relationship to look for you and that person, not how your mom wants it to look or how your boy wants it to look, and this is odd, and she's doing this, and he's doing that. If it doesn't bother you, then it doesn't bother you. It's your relationship. You guys have to set those goals within the relationship, not people looking at it from the outside. Absolutely. And let me ask you one last question because uh, we are at the top of the hour, but uh, and we don't usually we usually talk about intrinsic motivation, but in the last political cycle, a lot of unions relationships were damaged or ended uh, based off of the political cycle. Uh, families used to uh, vote together and have the same opinion, and in 2016 that wasn't the case, and you know we're two weeks away from this too, and it's still divided across the line, um, but more importantly, from a relationship standpoint. So what's a way that, like you said, I'm not the person you married at 20, you know, 20 years ago, what's a way to repair relationships in this current political climate? Respect and love. Respect and love at the core. Because and there's so much. This is this is so charged, right? There's so many things that look like hatred. They really just look like hatred on the surface. They really look, smell, feel like hatred. But at the core of this, at the core, we are all people operating. And some of us are still operating out of fear, right? We're making all our decisions based out of fear. Okay. And can I get you to make a decision that looks like love when I'm punishing you? for still making a decision out of fear, that's only going to make you more fearful. It's going to make you more fearful. I'm punishing you because you're making a decision based purely out of fear, and I come at you with more hatred, and then you, you draw back in. You become more fearful, and you do, you do the things that fearful people do. we got to first respect the fact that everybody gets to the next level at their own pace. And we'll all be okay. We will be just fine. In fact, we will prosper. History has shown us that. What are we so scared about? History has shown us that. We'll go to the polls. We'll do what we're supposed to do. And what is supposed to happen will happen. And if we respect the process, respect 
everybody and present ourselves in love because it is insane. I say this in my book. Um, it's insane to believe that we can make a room brighter by turning the lights out, <laughs> which means that we can't, I can't make you love me more by showing you more things to hate. Wow, that's, that's a great way to end it. And so, but people don't know where to find this book, so now's a perfect time to tell them about your book, your speaking engagements, and how to get in touch with you. So my book, Freedom is Your Birthright, is the foundation for living a life everyday peace. There's nothing missing, nothing broken, wholeness and totality. Living in that space is so very possible. That book can be purchased on my website, which is um, Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James, or on Amazon, um, Freedom is Your Birthright. You can get it there. I am right now uh, piloting my first radio program with uh, Unity Online Radio. I'll be there broadcasting uh, every Monday evening, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. My kickoff show is November 5th. And I'm speaking around at Unity Churches in, in Baltimore is my first location. I'll be there. I don't have the base, but it'll be on my website. And I'm hosting and co-hosting a show. I just started doing something really, really fun on Facebook Live on Thursdays, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So please check me out there. It's called Living Well this living well woman and it's really a a show about for women over the age of 40 uh, but any anybody can join in learning how to navigate life and the changes that are taking place you know in our mind our health our bodies our relationships and so that's where i am right now i'm open for speaking engagement so check out my website if you have an event and you'd love to have me there just hit me up on my website and we can make that happen as well fantastic You've just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. It was such a pleasure. I know we only it feels like we only touched the tip of the surface with you. You have such a, a, a wealth of information that we, I feel we should definitely stay in touch. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Yeah, all right, you all being... have a great rest of your day. Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the speak pipe button and leave any suggestions for a future podcast that you'd like us to cover. Also check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast, in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under intrinsic motivation from a homie's perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.